And this pathfinder had decided, well, I want to get baptised at the beach. So that's what we did. We headed out to the spit at the Gold Coast. But we didn't head to the nice calm water. He wanted it to be in the surf. See, he grew up surfing and stuff, being a Bayside kid. We, he used to go over to Stradbroke Island and um, do some surfing and stuff over there. So he's pretty good. But he wanted to be baptised in the surf. And as I said, Pastor Bob Possingham is about a billion years old. And so they had their board shorts on and all that kind of stuff and rashies and all this. And they're heading out into the water and the pathfinders were sitting on boards around, like out the back behind the break and all this kind of stuff. And... Um, at the spit there, that's got that nice, well, it used to, I don't know if it still does, but it had this nice gradual bar. And so when the waves came in, there was decent sets. You could always predict when the next waves are coming. And so when um, Bob and, and this pathfinder went out into the water, Bob's doing all the usual sort of stuff. You get the kid prepared, and this is where the pastor's always whispering in the person's ear, saying, all right, this is what's going to happen now. This is what's going to happen now. This is what's going to happen now. And so Bob would have been doing all that kind of stuff. I don't know, I was still standing on the shore. And um, Bob's going, all right, da-da-da, doing all the hand stuff. And then his hand shoots up. And then you're waiting for it. And, you know, the classic line of, I now baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what happened was Bob puts his hand up and he's projecting his voice. And you hear this, I baptise you in the name of the Father. In the name of the Son, and I reckon God's got a great sense of humour because before he got Holy Spirit out, both of them went and got trashed. It was brilliant. There was arms and legs going everywhere. There was sand everywhere and whatever else. And then um, all you see is this old fella getting up, trying to pick up this pathfinder. And um, it was great. It was great. And Bob's got a great sense of humour, so he did a one-liner after all that. And then... He had another crack at it, and eventually the kid was baptised. So that was my favourite baptism. But it got me thinking, why do we do it? Why do we go to beaches and get baptised? Why do we go to the dams and rivers and whatever else and get baptised? Why do we bring the fibreglass thing in here and fill it up with water and dunk this person in? Why do we go over to the swimming pool and do the same thing? Why do we go to the Evans' house and baptise people? Why do we do it? And then it got me thinking, well, there's a whole process to it because we get the people in the water and then we, we sort of hold them there, we tell them what's going on and then we go, well, I'm going to baptise you or whatever and then, and then we dunk them. And then whether you like the person or not is how long you keep them under the water for and then you bring them back up. But it got me thinking more, why do we do it? And if I wanted to be a bit cheeky or a bit, um, I don't know, wise, I guess, it's simply because... Jesus told us to. That's it. I can sit down. That's why we do it. In Matthew 28, we find Jesus giving an instruction to his disciples, his followers, that says, Go ye therefore to each nation and baptize people in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a great commission, in simo words. I would read it out, but we probably don't have time because um, I'm not a good reader. But Matthew 28 tells us to go and baptize people in the name of the Father. Simple. Done. Do we need any more? Well, we might need a bit more convincing. And so, I, um, I did a bit of reading, as you have to do. And as I said, it takes me forever to read stuff. So, I did a bit of reading, and I've worked out that people in the New Testament jumped at the chance to be baptised. The early Christians in the New Testament were 
people that as soon as you mentioned the word baptism, they were in. They were diving into the water. They were that keen. And we have the picture of um, Jesus himself being baptised in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. John the Baptist. He got given his name because he used to baptise people. A lot of people. They used to line up and you just have this, this um, conveyor belt of people who are coming through, baptising, baptising, baptising. And I think it's because the early church had an interesting view on what baptism meant to them. And so, they, so many of them were baptised, it would have been like someone sitting down next to someone else that wasn't baptised and going, well, why aren't you? Why aren't you? And it got me thinking a bit more, well, what, what's at the core of baptism? And this scholar said, and I'm going to read this because um, it's pretty good. At its core, here we go, at its core, baptism is an identification with and a declaration of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died, went into the tomb and rose again. Check it out. That's pretty cool. Check it out. At its core, baptism is an identification with and a declaration of. That's huge. That's huge because when we baptise people, we are taking what their identity is and changing it. We're modifying their identification. Where We're changing their barcode. We're wiping their computer chip. We're doing all that kind of stuff, but then it's the second part that adds to it and says it's a declaration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a bloke, New Testament, we talk about him all the time. His name's Paul. Um, he wrote most of the New Testament. So if someone says, who wrote the New Testament, you say, Paul. And you pretty much, about, I think it's about 75% correct because he wrote most of it. But in Romans 6, and the iPad's not working, it hasn't got charge on it, so can we flick through it on the screen, please? Here we go, Romans 6, and it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, this is a bit of a weird way to introduce the topic of baptism, but it gets there, so let's keep going. And it says, By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We'll just pause there for a second. A few series back... Well, last year, but we've covered it since then as well. We did a few Bible texts and everything on, on this sin thing. And the Bible says quite clearly that the wages of sin is death. So if you sin, you're going to die. That's pretty much it. Because that's what sin is. Sin is death. And it says, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's a very interesting question, Paul. Let's keep going. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Check it out. This is just what I read out in the quote before. Let's keep going. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we are certainly also united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death can no longer, uh, no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Last verse. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. It's a long way to say, for it is by grace you are saved. Through faith. It's a long way to say that, but there are little bits and pieces through here that we're going to delve into. And, and the biggest part of it is simply that when we go under the water, when we go under the water, it's as if we are going into Christ's grave. And then when we come back up, it is, is as if we are being raised with him. There, there is a little analogy that I'd like to share with you this morning. And that simply is, a lot of people talk about this whole baptism thing like a marriage. A lot of people talk about it like a marriage. And, and the way I'd like to describe it to you this morning is exactly that. You see, when, when two people get married and um, they stand with the um, celebrate minister, whoever before them, they stand on either side and they take the vows. They promise each other a life together. They promise each other a life with no other. They promise each other that they'll be there through thick and thin. And it's exactly the same with baptism. You see, if someone, if someone stood opposite each other at the marriage, in the marriage ceremony and whatever else, and, 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 um, and I wasn't completely devoted to that person, surely that person's friends would tell them, Surely that person's friends would tell that person that, hey, Simo's, Simo's a bad person, blah, 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 he's still, I don't know, hanging out with this, hanging, doing this, whatever else. And that person would then sort of realise, oh, hang on, he's not the guy for me. And then, um, if you pull it apart even more, it's kind of like that person wouldn't... Uh, Sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. That person would not want to be partnered with that other party. And it's exactly the same with Christ in baptism. See, we can be baptised and then get up out of the water and go, yeah, it's all good, it's all good. Oh, Fonzie, I'm Fonzieing. <laughs> I just realised that. Yeah, it's all good. And then um, we can get out of the water and, and pretend that it's all good. But if we don't change the way we look at stuff, the way we do stuff, the way we, we connect with people, the way we connect with Jesus ourselves, then the baptism thing is just a bit of paper or, or a commitment that is hollow. And so, <clears throat> does it mean, it simply means 
that if you are committed to this baptism thing, we don't continue being what we've been, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. Now, Paul uses some pretty strong language in the fact that um, he uses death and he uses life to illustrate what happens with baptism. Our old self is dead. Our new self has life. And there's no, there's no better way to contrast two different things than death and life, really, is it? it you, uh, what's, what's another way to say it? You've got an alive cat, right? And that cat's awesome. And then you've got a dead cat. Not so good. Which one would you want, life or death? You know, that sort of thing. It's, people look at me going, did he just use that illustration? Yeah, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. People say I don't like cats. It's not true. I do like cats. They taste a bit like possum. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's all right, I'm vegetarian. Apart from when it comes to cats. No, it's all good. So he uses the illustration of life and death. And, and you can't get more dead than when you're dead. You can't be more alive when you're alive because you're alive. Your heart's beating, you've got conscience and all that kind of stuff. So when he uses the illustration of this thing in baptism, it's pretty strong imagery. It's pretty strong imagery because we had a saviour that did exactly that. He came to earth, he died, nothing was happening, he checked out. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he rises again out of the tomb and he's alive. It's all happening again. And we have an opportunity to be part of that. And that's where I think the early church had it right. That's where I think the early church had it right because if people understood that concept, they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted their identity to be changed and, and, and turned into an identity with Christ. An identity with Christ, but not only an identity with Christ, but an identity with his death, and an identity, I can't think of the word, identity with, <laughs> with his resurrection. But not only that, but not only that, it's a declaration to other people. See, see, we're happy to claim the identity side of things, but sometimes we struggle with the declaration side of things. Sometimes we struggle with the, with the I want to let people know side of things. Because when the change of identity happens, we want it to, uh, to not just be a surface thing, we want it to go deeper. And that declaration is important. That declaration is telling everyone else what you're doing. That declaration is telling every single person that you come in contact with that my identity is changing. You see, back in biblical times, identity meant so much more than what it does today. Because if you take someone like uh, Peter or James and John, their fathers were fishermen and so they were fishermen, but then they could trace it back all the way through the lineage. That's why we get some boring books in the Bible that all it has in it is lineage. That's why we have it, so we know where people come from. We know what people's identity were, or are, or is, or whatever the word is. I don't know, I'm not an English teacher. But that's where it comes from, because the importance of going forward is knowing where you come from. You've all heard that, that's a bumper sticker. But 
if you know what your identity is and where it's come from or whatever else, but then you've got this new identity in Christ, you want to show people this new identity. You want to, you want to tell people this new, new identity. You want to tell people about what the new identity is and how to get that new identity. Paul is using baptism to challenge the believers. He's using it to challenge them in a way that I think we need to be challenged today. He's using it in a way that says, well, you're a Christian. Yep, I'm a Christian. You were baptised, right? Yep. You were dead to sin? Yep, I'm a sinner. I was dead to sin. You're alive in Christ? Yep, I'm alive in Christ. And then it's like Paul is putting a little hook on the end that says, well, go live like you're alive with Christ. Go live like it. You, you're a, you, you believe in him. You, you believe that you, your old self is gone, that it, was died, that it has died, and now that it's alive, your new identity is alive in him. Go live like it. Go live like it. And it's harder than it sounds. I can sit up here and spray out words as, as best as I can and try and make it make sense and whatever else, but I know that living a life that Paul is talking about here is hard. It's extremely hard. I know. I've done it. There's another old dude that wrote some books, and um, he, he said it sort of, sort of this way. He said, when people get baptised... It's like having two fields. When people decide to live for Christ, when people um, decide to make their identity in Jesus' resurrection, when people decide to, to become a member of Jesus' church, it's like two fields. And I automatically thought of Suncorp Stadium and um, the Gabba, Queensland boy. And so... I pictured the Gabba and Suncorp Stadium sort of built next to each other. And I pictured these two ovals or fields and um, there was a giant wall in between them. And, and one of the, the fields is, um, oh, no better way to say it, but owned by Satan, owned by the devil. And, and you, we get placed on that field automatically because of who we are. Because we're human, sin has already entered the world and all that kind of stuff. And so we are automatically placed on that field and we try to get onto the other field. I couldn't work out which field was which, this Suncorp Stadium or the game, because I like them both just as much. And um, Jesus owns the second field. Jesus owns the second field. And we as, as Christians, we strive to get across to that other field. We, we are trying to move away from the field we've been automatically placed on and we're trying to draw ourselves closer to the second field. But there's a giant wall in the way and that wall we can't cross by ourselves. That wall we can't climb because we're human. And so we're, we're trying to. And then we sort of get closer and closer to, to Jesus and we experience all this stuff and then we decide to um, make our identity with him. And then all of a sudden, we start to climb the wall. We start to build on our relationship with him and that's kind of what this elemental series is. It's talking about the different facets of that. And, and we're trying to build and climb and get our way over the wall and then eventually we make it. We make the decision to change our identity and put it in Jesus Christ. 
And so therefore, as soon as that happens, we get plonked onto the Jesus field. We get plonked onto the Jesus field. But there's a wall separates us and all that kind of stuff. But back over into the other field, we still have Satan calling us back. We still have him have, uh, making attempts at getting our attention and drawing us back into his field, pulling us back, trying to get us back over that thing. It doesn't stop once you've been baptized. It sometimes even gets harder. That journey between the two fields gets harder when you've been baptized. Baptism is simply a picture and a reminder of what God did for us when Jesus died on the cross. It is simply a picture and a reminder of what he did for us on the cross. If you see yourself today, if you see yourself today that, and you can, you can sort of put what I'm saying together, because I can't, if you see yourself putting together what I'm saying and that, that you believe that you're dead to sin, but we get given this access to be alive in Christ, you get it. You get it. You should be baptised. You should be baptised. You get it. We have a... You guys have an opportunity. We live in a society that we're free in Australia. We are very free in Australia when it comes to religion. We have... We have we have other um, religions in the world that aren't so free. We have people like the Muslim people that I know of, of a couple of kids down in, um, they used to go to Sydney Adventist College, that they decided to be Christians. And they were totally disowned. Totally disowned by their family because they were Muslims. Totally disowned. And for them, that's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. And then you get um, people mainly in Asia slowly moving its cross in the Western world, but we have the Buddhists. And they, they, they focus on their ancestors. Their ancestors are long gone, but they still have those little huts in their yards and stuff, and they put candles, and, and, and if their person likes cigarettes, they put cigarettes. If they like fruit, they'll put fruit and they, whatever else in these little huts and whatever because they're trying to look after their ancestors that have passed on. If one of those people decided to take up Christianity, they're denying their past. They're denying who they are. They're denying their culture. They're huge obstacles. And the list can go on. That's just a couple. The list can go on. What, what are some of the obstacles that we face? What are some of the things that stop people from getting into that water? What are some of the things that can get in the way of us being baptised. For some of us, it's not quite sure what we're signing up for. For others, it's, it's simply that, oh, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it in front of everyone, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. We can work through that. We can, we can make that happen. It says quite clearly in the Bible later on that every time people get baptised, there is a huge celebration in heaven huge celebration. We had a couple baptism a couple of weeks ago. Bondi got baptised. Massive celebration in heaven. As you can just feel it in the air. Next week, when people get baptised at the Evans' place, it's going to be a huge celebration. There's three people getting baptised. It's going to go off. There's a celebration in heaven because 
we are acknowledging what Jesus and God have done for us in their life, in our lives. If you want to know more about this baptism stuff, come and see someone. Talk to someone about it. Talk to anyone that you feel comfortable with talking to. And then, and then we can organise some stuff. Talk to, talk to any one of us that you feel comfortable with. Because if you don't feel comfortable, it won't just happen. You, you'll, you'll pull away. You can text, you can whatever. We don't care. Talk to Neil, talk to me, talk to Jace, talk to anyone. Anyone. And we can help you out. So, I don't really care. I don't really care why you haven't got it done. Why you haven't got into the water. Why you haven't thrown the bodies on. Why you haven't walked into the beach and get absolutely smashed by the waves. Don't really care why. But what I ask you today is why not? What I ask you today is why not? And I want you to think about that as we complete this series, Elemental. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. I was going to tell you the story about my baptism, whatever else, but I'm going to leave it with that question. Why not? Let's pray. Father God, you are truly an awesome God, and um, we get glimpses of that, even when we're not looking for it. And Lord, we just like to acknowledge the sacrifice that you, you did for us when you sent your son to die on the cross. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that we, we are dead as human beings without, without your son. And Lord, we just thank you that we can be alive in Christ and we can have a relationship with him. And our identity is in Jesus Christ, if we want it to be. Lord, there's people in this room that, um, that probably are struggling with this, this concept. And Lord, I just pray for them. Give them the courage that they need to take that next step. Give them the ability to be able to connect with you in ways they have never seen before. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that has come and worshipped with us today. And we also think of the, the greater church and the people that couldn't make it today. And Lord, we ask you to be with them. Lord, we love you. Can't wait to see you in your name. Amen. Um, just in wrapping.